I'm Chris. And I'm Owen. And this is the Dead Wargamer Society. Hello, welcome back, listeners. Uh, today we're going to talk about a game that's near and dear to my heart, Vor the Maelstrom. We've had a few guests mention this is a game they would like to hear us cover, and uh, it's a game that's been on my list for a while. If you're on a Discord too, you probably have seen the breadcrumbs uh, leading us to this point. But before we get into that topic, uh, Chris, what have you been up to for hobby stuff lately? I actually recently just got back from a very brief Canada trip, um, where I went up to play some games with uh, Ash Barker and record for Gorilla Minigames. Nice. Um, so we got in some Necromunda, which was a blast, and then we also got in some Marvel Crisis Protocol. Um, it was a short trip, so we didn't we really didn't go into some of the Dead War games stuff. Um, but I think this one worked out really well. So we're definitely planning to do some things in the future, and maybe that can be when I get the chance to really uh, break out the Confrontation or the Dark Age, or maybe even some Eden. You know, and um, that'll be really cool to get some stuff on video again. Paint-wise, I've kind of been all over the place. Like, <laughs> there's so, so many things. There are so many things. Uh, I was I was doing really good with my unpainted pile, and I don't know what happened. Um, all of a sudden, there's, <laughs> there's stuff where, like, I didn't think there'd be stuff. Like, it's just like, wait, when did I get this? I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, recently, most recently, I've been uh, cranking out some Carnival. Which has been fun. Uh, I did some Strigoi for myself, and uh, currently working on some very colorful uh, Rishar uh, mm-hmm. for Zara. I also had the pleasure of uh, painting up some of the new Judgment Eternal models that are going to be uh, fulfilling soon for Kickstarter backers, and hopefully be available for sale soon. And uh, that that was a real pleasure to work with. I had to uh, kind of push myself a little bit further than I have been hobby wise, and I'm very happy with the result. Awesome, man. You should uh, toss some uh, pictures of that up on the Discord whenever it's uh, appropriate to do so. I was like, man, it's, I always I always feel guilty, right? Like, I always feel guilty putting stuff up in the Discord for painting that's not dead war games. I'm like, oh, it's not on brand. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like, like Judgment, it never died, but that's one where there was more than what I would call a standard edition change. When you change the scale of the game and change the look and feel as much as the difference between the first version of Judgment and what we've seen previewed in the Kickstarter. I I don't want to say those are different games, but they are as far apart as you can be within the same game. Yeah, yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely, definitely see that. I know we had... Uh mentioned judgment back in our christmas edition <laughs> not that long ago and um it was definitely one of those things where it's like oh with all these changes because there are major major changes uh you know it's it feels like a new, it feels like a new game yeah yeah all right all right maybe we'll uh we'll post up some uh, fancy pictures uh, <laughs> right how about you how are you doing with your hobby and so but before i started mine i just want to call out you said you had a blast playing necromunda and you also played mcp so we'll, we'll read in between the lines on that one no i, I i've been uh <laughs> I've, 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 I've i've been good i uh have actually been finishing up a uh warband for relic blade that i started some time ago i've really been enjoying painting with uh acrylic gouache paint uh, Vince Venturella had a video up on that not too long ago. I will note that uh, I, I'm a total painting hipster. I started using that based upon uh, Marcos Frizzoni's uh, work, 
he has been using it for a highlight color. I started playing around with using it as a main color, and then days later, Vince came out with that. I, I make no no claim to actually have any original ideas there, but it was just uh, interesting that everyone seems to be kind of moving in the same uh, similar pattern in this. I, I've really been enjoying it and uh, getting some striking colors. Once that's done, I'll, I'll paint it up. Um, finished up a bunch of alchemy stuff, so I'm pretty much good to go for Captain Com, which is nice with the wedding coming up and then the holidays. It's nice not to be... Uh, you know, under the gun come the beginning of January and, and go, oh, shucks, wait, I have four weeks to get all this stuff done. So nice to uh, nice to be able to come out of the holidays and uh, not stress. Sweet. Obviously, with, with the wedding, it, it definitely slowed things down in terms of painting. I, no, no complaints there. Um, much, much more excited about the wedding than I am about painting. Painting will, will still be there when I'm, I'm married. Um, but I do have a confrontation uh, commission that I'm going to try to finish up before the end of the year just to get that over to uh, my buddy and uh, then hopefully we can play some confrontation to games together so that has been me so moving along to vor i will uh, put out the disclaimer here in the beginning like i i've read a little bit into it but i have never put any of it on the table i haven't actually seen the rule book itself and uh yeah i haven't i haven't uh, i haven't even painted any models so i've looked into it i have some ideas but this is uh this is going to be an owen episode this is going to be owen kind of uh giving me some info and <laughs> we'll see no knowing the way uh past episodes like this have worked i'm sure you know in a few weeks I'll be adding Vore to the paint table, <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a game that you are going to have strong opinions on. I think there are some factions you'll find very interesting. I think there are some just based upon your taste you are not going to like at all. And that that's not the worst thing in the world for a game to have. I also think it sits in a kind of interesting place in terms of War Games history and in terms of its relationship with War Machine, which is a game that you and I both really like. So even if you don't end up jumping into the game, I think it's interesting to talk about and maybe this uh, gives you some extra context for games you already do enjoy. So having said that, let's start with a wiki-style summary. So Vore the Maelstrom was a science fiction tabletop war game designed by Mike Scuzzy Nielsen and published by FASA in 1999. The game's really notable for its unique setting and for the ability of players to create their own force. They were in the core game rules for creating your own force, your own vehicles, etc, etc, which I thought was an interesting flourish for a game that had its own line of miniatures, and I think it's been one of the things that attracts people to it, even after the game uh, stopped getting support by FASA in 2001. The game's played using somewhere between 10 to 30, although obviously it can scale to as low as or as large as a game as you'd like, uh, 28 millimeter miniatures per side, Generally played on a four foot by six foot table, although that can vary depending on the scenario you're playing, and it's played using D10s. This is a game that is something we've been talking about and kind of talking around for some time. So, around the turn of the century, Warhammer 40k was definitely the dominant war game on the market in America, and there was some competition, and all of those unfortunately fell by the wayside for various reasons. So, we've talked about Warzone which for reasons in the episode that we covered that in, and we can link to that in the show notes, didn't work out. It didn't seem to be on the basis of the game not being good. It seemed to be an unfortunate business decision by the company that owned the product. Uh, we also have talked about Urban War and or Void. Again, that uh, that didn't quite take off. There was some interesting business stuff going on around the 2000 mark. Now we're talking about Vor, which is the other player in that arena. I would say Vor was the most whimsical of those games in terms of its setting, 
urban war and void tended to be harder sci-fi. Warzone, as we've discussed, was more of a gothic diesel punk. Vor, for, and I don't mean any disrespect when I say this, Vor is the ultimate 1990s game. I mean, short of having people on skateboards chugging Mountain Dew, th- th- this this very much felt like it was a cinematic science fiction, but more movie science fiction background than some of the other games on the market. It was doing pretty well in America until FASA decided to no longer support it. Uh, there were a few attempts to bring it back to market around uh, the 2001 to 2003 time frame. There was a collaboration between Mike Scuzzy Nielsen and the folks over at Iron Moon Metal to try to bring things back. There were some additional units put out in a supplemental PDF. We can link to that in the show notes, uh, as well as a, a very, very comprehensive FAQ. Unfortunately, not a whole lot happened in terms of market space with that, uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, Ironwood Metals couldn't uh, couldn't advertise it in the way that some of the uh, other people in that space were able to work. So things were fairly silent for a while. 2012, uh, Scuzzy tried to put out a Kickstarter for the game. I think, unfortunately, he was just a little early to market. It had a fairly aggressive uh, goal and didn't quite get there. There was some nice extra information put out as part of that, though. There was a master PDF that flushed them out a little bit more than the original book did, which was nice. But um, after that, unfortunately, the game hasn't uh, hasn't had a whole lot of uh, new activity going on. That being said, let's talk about the background. So. This is a game that almost feels ridiculous when I describe it, but it really worked despite the premise being a little bit, uh, almost something I would expect out of a uh, create-your-own-force war game. So the basis of the game is that there is a malevolent force in the universe called the Maw, and the Maw is functionally a sentient black hole. The Maw goes around the universe grabbing planets, sucking them into a functional alternative dimension called the Maelstrom, where they are slowly circling the drain until they're consumed. So you end up with a disparate, weird mishmash of different factions in the Maelstrom, but it also leaves the door open for creating your own, because, hey, who who knows what this planet, you know, this uh, black hole, excuse me, drove into itself to, to try to nom 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 on it. So... The background talks about a few different factions. You have the Growlers, which are sort of like a mishmash between shark dinosaurs in space. If you're familiar with the Iron Kingdom's role-playing game, these have some striking similarities to the trolls in that setting. Uh, It's interesting that Matt Wilson, who owned Privateer Press, also did the artwork for these. I don't think it was a ripoff, but I do definitely think that the Trolls and the Iron Kingdoms RPG were an homage to the the Growlers in a number of different ways. These were alien giant monsters with metal skeletons that adapted to the environment that they were in. So if you lived in a swamp, you might get swamp growlers. If you lived in a volcano area, you'll get fire gut growlers, etc., etc. They were almost exclusively a melee-focused force, one of the first forces out. They were also on the cover-out of the original box set. I think they're definitely one of the more attractive portions of the game. Now, Chris, I've linked some art in the Discord. Do you want to give your two cents on how these guys look? I mean, like you said, it it is uh, very actually, uh, you know, Matt Wilson troll looking, um, especially when you look at that uh, cover art for the first 
I guess that's the first box. Uh, yep. It is uh, very similar in pose to uh, one of the uh, large troll war beasts in the Trollbloods faction for War Machine. Personally, personally, I I actually do uh, like the Growler line. Um, it's it's not quite refined yet, you know. Like uh, looking at the Growlers, you know, compared to the Trollbloods in War Machine, it it almost seems like an evolution. Where it's like yeah. this was the, this was the first like this was the trial product this was the sketch and that the Trollbloods was like the finalized kind of version, um, so some of them are a little bit goofy some some of the um, some of the poses are just like a little janky but um there it's stuff where uh, legitimately looking at all of the factions the Growlers would probably be the ones that I would go with and I do think my favorite model across the line is actually a Growler model as well. I think the Growler's sculpts have, for the most part, held up pretty well. If you go to the Lead Adventures forum, there's actually folks in 2022 that are just picking up the game and starting to paint these. I think with a, a, you know modern photography, modern paint job, these still mm-hmm. look pretty decent. I do think there are some stinkers, but we're talking about models that were sculpted in 1999. Lots changed since then, so sure. the fact that some of these can hold up is has been impressive. Mm-hmm. I, I do definitely agree with your comment too that this is. I can see how Matt took inspiration for this for the Trolls and the Iron Kingdoms RPG. I don't think this is a ripoff. I do think there was a significant advancement, refinement, etc. for that uh, that concept. So next up, we have the two Earth-based factions. So in the background of the game, Earth is sucked into the Maelstrom. Uh, In the game, you have the Union, which is a combination of basically the United States, Mexico, and Canada. They operate very much like a modern military would have in 1999 uh, with kind of some sensible extrapolations. So a lot of drones are in the force. But thematically, this is very much a a NATO at the turn of the century type fighting force. Opposed them uh, on Earth were the Neo-Soviets, which is a dystopian future Russia where a former member of the party in the USSR took power, became a functional dictator, and tried to violently expand into his neighbors, which totally never could happen in the real world. Definitely science fiction there. They, in contrast to the Union, are a little bit more into biological and chemical warfare. They definitely have a lot less, hey, let's help our buddy effects. They're much more punitive to their own troops. I think you can see some echoes of Kador in the Iron Kingdoms in the Neo-Soviet art. I've linked it. I can link in the show notes some art from Matt Wilson uh, showing a commissar for the Neo-Soviets. And then you can see a similar pose for Commandant Irisk from the Iron Kingdoms. I don't think it's a ripoff. I don't think you know, this is you know sketching over the old things. But I, I do think there was a homage back to this uh, by Matt uh, for some of the Kador ideas. These two tend to be very popular. Neo-Soviets were very popular. The Union humans are always going to do okay. Any thoughts on uh, the relationship between Kador here, Chris, or the relationship to other lines? Looking at the models, I think, you know, again, these are ones that are showing their age a little bit more, especially the bigger guys. Like, Oh, yeah. The, the, like, the line infantry could pass, you know, especially with some more modern uh, painting techniques and stuff like that, but... um. Yeah, so some of the bigger stuff just looks very toy-like, 
as opposed to something that you'd really like really see like it, you know again it looks like that kind of like dollar store like oh i mean you know we uh we're not gonna buy the transformers but like here's random garbage robot yeah there's a i'd say compared to kator there's almost like a little bit more of a horror element to some of the models for the soviet side definitely which makes it a little bit more interesting to me like i do think that it, it's there's a it, it definitely differentiates the human factions like a little bit more. There's a definite flavor to each side, which is cool. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't think me per you know like me personally would kind of go into either one of those. And like that's you know that is saying like a little bit for me just because with a lot of, a lot of games I'm you know attracted to the more like Soviet style kind of force like. Kador was my original army for uh, War Machine. You know, I like, I like the snow, the heavy armor, like fur-lined coats and capes, and you know, like kind of stuff like that. It, it's usually like it's, uh, you know, I like the painting aesthetic for it and the way that it looks. I actually really enjoy snow, like way too much on like model <laughs> tables and like and, and minis. But here, it's definitely one of those like I don't, I don't see enough inspiration to really be like, yeah, yeah, like I, I would go with that, you know. I think the Neo-Soviets conceptually have some really interesting ideas. I think it, you could, by pulling from places that do 3D prints or doing some modification of even some War Machine stuff, make a really interesting looking force. The concept art, I think, was really cool. I think the execution, we're talking about sculpts that are two decades old. I they, They're going to be showing their age. I think if you could kickstart this and get some new sculpts in. I, I do think this could be a really interesting faction. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, we have the Zyke. These are one of the weirder options. I, I will put all the cards on the table and say these are not my favorite. I think this was a swing in the miss, personally. These are, you know, they're futuristic minimalist, which is a bit of a trope in sci-fi. So they were an advanced society where their technology almost destroyed them. So they decided to return to nature in balance, but they still use high-tech stuff in a very deliberate way. They kind of remind me of the blue people from Avatar. They are weird in that they're double-jointed, or not double-jointed, they actually have two elbows on their arms. I've included some concept art, we can put it in the show notes, of an example, Zyke. They just look kind of lanky and weird. They're a little bit of almost elves in how they operate, sort of, not really. In my mind, they're a little bit more protos from StarCraft. You know, they are really big on mysticism and religion, and there's a dark undercurrent to their society. I... I like what they were going for, but between the models and the concept art, these were <laughs> were not my favorite. Uh, any thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like when it comes down to it, uh, Protoss was always my jam for StarCraft. So on, on paper, it sounds like a really cool idea. But when you're looking into it, I just I really hate the way the double elbow stuff came out looking. Yeah. Like I don't I don't I don't necessarily know if they you know like somehow that concept could be improved on but when you look at a lot of the models and even a lot of the like the uh the concept art and stuff like that it looks very pasta like like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't look like an arm it looks like a, a like a neat spaghetti shape cower before sci-fi noodle man <laughs> right like 
but you know like and 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 people people will actually get a chance to you know like go and check this out and you know maybe tell me i'm wrong here but uh <laughs> like it's uh it's tough i i think that i think the concept's cool i think the the fluff idea behind them is cool and it, it what's also neat about it is you know as we've been going through these different factions like each faction has has a, has a good feel to it fluff wise you know there's not a lot of overlap there's not a lot of sameness this is one where i i do i do wish that they put just like a little bit of extra time into the concept origination of it you know if you're gonna if you're gonna do like a double elbow like maybe do one like reverse jointed or maybe you know do an elbow that splits into two forearms so you you know like you have like a different look there and like that extra set of almost general grievous hands like something like that could be really cool for this yeah but just like especially i think technology you know again looking at older models and technology wise i don't necessarily know that they had a much much better way to do this outside of you know pasta arms i think that when you look at different artists take on this I think there was some concept art that really worked, particularly in there's a campaign book called Razor Fang's Exodus. And there was some really excellent artwork in that. I think the faction's initial concepting suffered from the person they got to do it. I, I don't know anything behind the scenes. This is all speculation on my part, so please tell me I'm wrong with evidence so we, we can all know what happened here. But this was done by a guy named Ron Spencer, who is a bit divisive in some of the other games he's worked on. He definitely has a style. I think sometimes it works fantastically. Uh, I first came across him. He did a lot of the concept art for the White Wolf uh, card game called Rage the Apocalypse. He did a lot of the combat cards for that. And I think the gory, visceral stuff can really work. It's very stylized, but I, I look, I would, you know, remember being 12 and looking at it being like, oh, this is so cool. I know the RPG community for Werewolf has had strong opinions on his work. I think sometimes it works, sometimes it's a swing in the mist for me. Um, I think in this case, there was an interesting kernel of an idea, but I agree with Chris that the execution just uh, just didn't quite hit the mark. All right, moving on. Let's talk about the last two lines that were fully released by FASA, or at least had a book to go with them. You have the Shard, which are crystal aliens that want to eliminate all carbon-based life. It's a fair guess that they're probably based on silicon crystals. They don't explicitly state that in the uh, the background, though. These were beings that were pure energy before they got pulled into the Maelstrom. The Maelstrom started sucking all the energy beings into its center, especially fast, so they decided to form crystalline bodies to hold their essence. They are really, really, really not happy about having to have bodies again. They they, they are really, really, really ticked off about that. And the Pharon captured one of their leaders and was torturing them. His leader sacrificed himself to inspire the Shard, and now the Shard go around murdering the heck out of the Pharon. Uh, so who are the Pharon? Pharon are, if I'm going to pick a trope, Tomb Kings in space. They are an Egyptian-themed army that is mostly undead. They take slaves in space. They torture people. They worship the center of the maelstrom, the Maw. Uh, they call him Vor, so hence the, the, the name of the game, or Vorak. They remind me mechanically a lot of the Kukulkani from Dark Age. So it's a very, very high-tech alien species that wears kind of minimal armor and has a lot of fancy rituals that are based on high technology, but it functions more like magic, have a lot of entropy-based weapons, etc. 
they, I think, had some models that are showing their age, but the concept art for these, done by Matt Wilson, I think really, really holds up well. Um, any thoughts on these guys, Chris? I was going to say, I've actually seen some paint jobs on the Shard that are really good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> and really good by today's standards, too, which, is, which to, you know, like, uh, might tilt this a little bit. The Shard, I, I think... Honestly, there's really not a lot else out there that really is the same on like a modeling standpoint. Um, and I think that if the game was ever to be redone, re-released, re-sculpted, I'd be really excited to see what what could be done with the shard because um, there's so many cool things that that uh, people are doing just with like a very different feel to it. Um, and especially once you get into some of the crazy, crazy, crazy like vapor wave, like you know, <laughs> you like it's just like oh man, that's super cool. It's like lasers hitting crystals. It's awesome. The Pharon, not really my jam. Like uh, Tomb Kings was never really my thing. Kukulkani was also never my thing. Uh, like, I just didn't... You know, I like a lot of Dark Age. Um, I like the idea of them. Like, I think they fit into the story of the game really well. But, like, uh, from an aesthetics standpoint, like, I don't know. Just, it, it's not something that, like, super appeals to me. The cover art, though... So, like, the cover art for that Pharaon book, it looks really cool. Like, it's done really well. Um, it actually looks like it belongs in Dark Age. <laughs> You know, and and it it is it's it's done in a very cool way, but I think um it's something where if the uh, nowadays if the, again nowadays if they made models based on that cover art, I think these can make some really some really cool models. But uh, back then, I think it was a little bit more minimalist in the way that it was, in uh, you know, in the technology that they had. So it's these guys definitely would not be one of my first choices for a faction to get into. I still think that um. You know, looking into it, the Growlers would probably be number one with uh, the Shard coming in at number two. Yeah, I, I picked up the Shard. I had previously built a Growlers Force when I played the game, oh gosh, about 10 years ago with some buddies. I really think the Shard are a great opportunity for someone that enjoys painting to really flex. So hopefully uh, my skills have improved a lot in the past 10 years <laughs> and I can uh, I can show off a little bit. I, I just think it's a really cool concept. I will say the book has some really beautiful watercolor art in it. Uh, just the artwork that was put into these books um, shows a lot of love for the setting. And I, I do appreciate that about the game. I would also say the books are incredibly affordable. They're usually somewhere between 3 and $5 online. So if you want some cool art, you want to check out the game, uh, there's not a whole lot of PDF copies of the game online. If you go looking in the usual places, you should be able to find the core rulebook, but the force books are a little bit harder to track down that way. If you can, can't find them digitally, though, I, buying them in print is, uh, is worth the 3 to $5 per book. I will state that unequivocally. There were also three factions in the, in the big book that didn't have a full set of releases. Two of these got a partial release after the game stopped getting support from FASA, so Ironwind's Metals just released basically what they, they had in the pipeline. Uh, another one you have a lot of background information on, but no actual models for. So these three, uh, really, really briefly, you have the Golems, who are power-armored slavers, so it's actually a creature inside that's a symbiotic relationship between basically a brain species and a big brute species. They run around enslaving things. They did it before they went into the Maw. They do it, or not the Maw, the, the Maelstrom. They do it in the Maelstrom. They are opposed to the Siru, who are like blue-skinned WoW gnomes, but they're more like a biker gang. They ride hoverboards and hover bikes. They used to be slaves of the golems, and now they're 
they won their independence once they went into the maelstrom um and now they're kind of doing their own thing uh last but not least you have the mashers who are they're weird they're sci-fi cavemen but they can pick up technology and stick it into their skin and for a quirk of their evolution they can actually power it electrically so you'll have cavemen with like weird mechanical spider legs or like articulated buzz saws. <laughs> they, 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 they were always a little bit goofy, but uh, th- there they were. Uh, I thought the game was interesting in that they tended to do forces that were diametrically opposed to another force. All the forces mm-hmm. get interact with each other, but for example, the Union and the Neo-Soviets, they're both based on Earth. They, they were natural enemies and they, they still you know fight each other. The Growlers and the Zyke. When the Zyke's planet came into the Maelstrom, it collided with the uh, Growler planet, and the Growlers beat the crap out of the Zyke. So now the Zyke's hate the Growlers. Then you got a campaign book where it was mostly focused on the conflict between a character from the Growlers and a character from the Zyke, but it also had some conflict between the Union and the Neo-Soviets. So that was great. It was interesting. Some really good scenarios in there. I'd also recommend picking that book up. Then you got the Shard and the Pharon. The Shard really, really don't like the Pharon, and the Pharon are are fighting off the Shard. You then, to my mind, also the setup between the Golems and the Seru. So my guess was campaign book two was going to be those four forces rolled up and fight a campaign there. There was a little bit of meta plot in the game. You had some name characters. They would pop up in different places. That was kind of cool to see. It wasn't full-on White Wolf meta plot where, you know, these were the most important things in the universe, but it was interesting to see them uh, drive the story in a character-driven way. I thought that was, uh, wasn't as common back then. It was nice to see that approach to things. So that's a quick summary of the forces. Of course, I'd be remiss to mention that uh, you can make your own force, make your own background. There are rules for that in the core book. The rumor on the internet is that there's a uh, freely available rule system called No Limits uh, for the sci-fi version, uh, No Quarter for the fantasy version, that was based upon a planned update to the Build Your Own Force rules. The original rules were let you do pretty much anything you wanted, but the consensus on the internet was if you built a force that way, it would be very expensive point-wise. So you can build one of the Union grunts, and it'll be somewhere between double and triple, uh, depending on the particulars there, of what you'd actually just get if you bought one in the Union, uh, which is interesting from a balancing perspective. That way you can't... It would be difficult uh, to min-max that and beat the existing forces. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the updated rules give you a lot more options. There have been things expanded in the base game that were now pulled in. So if you're interested in checking out a war-like experience, but with strictly build-your-own-force stuff, I'd uh, recommend the No Limits rules, and I can put a link to that in the show notes as well. So, big picture, what, what are your thoughts on the uh, the universe, Chris? As a whole, it's a cool concept. I like that it's not a universe that's focused, hyper-fixated on one faction. Yeah. Like, that's that's a really cool thing, like, that you have all these, like, rivalries that are involved, because, especially when you look at, like, a lot of the older games right there is a little bit more of the like this faction is the showrunner you know like house of dragon terms like this this these are the targaryens right like this is this is what it is this is what the this is what the game is about even you know even though you should be able to play any faction and any faction might be just as well represented like you feel like the fluff doesn't come along as much or that, you know, like the, the faction's not involved as much. I mean, even looking at like some of the War Machine stuff, I think especially like in a lot of the earlier things, like that was Signar. Like it was like, well, Kador's fighting Signar. 
Crix is fighting Signar. Like the <laughs> the Protectorate is fighting Signar. The the trolls exist to fight Signar. You know, Vinter's coming back with the scorn to fight Signar. And like a lot a lot of that, you know, like kind of existed with a few things. Yeah, there was I mean, even Warhammer Fantasy, like there was some cool like inner like dwarves and elves kind of stuff. In the end, a, a lot of it was just really fixated on the Empire, where it's like, alright, like here are the humans and you know the you know the humans are the center of the universe and it's like okay but like what what about the some of these other guys because these other guys are cool too and you know it's neat that they that they kind of blend that all together and that the the humans are really never really the center of the thing mm-hmm. and also that it like it exists in such a way where it's not a huge leap of faith to say that one thing is fighting another thing like yeah it's all in the maelstrom like anything can happen so if you're playing, you know, if you're playing Growlers versus, you know, uh, neo Soviets, it makes sense. I-, I would say to me, the conceit always felt like, on paper, I would expect this to be just a rule system that was an excuse for letting an eight year old have their GI Joes fight their Transformers. But it worked. Like it, it really was well fleshed out. It took itself seriously. I like that the books also tended to show internal divisions within a faction. I thought that added a lot of interesting ways to have the same, have a reason for this, the, you know, the union to fight the union. There can be internal divisions there. Same, same with any of the factions. A lot of these were based upon tropes, but they, they weren't just the trope one note, the end done. Even things like the shard, Murder crystal aliens. Okay, but there there's internal divisions about the right way to proceed. Are we trying to help the other races? Or are we just going to try to murder everyone? I don't know. Um, that I, I I like that there was there there was some meat there when it would have been easy enough for them just to say, "Here's the Union, America, fuck yeah." Here's the Neo Soviets, Russians, bad. You like <laughs> they 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 really did put put the work into it. So I, I did uh, I did appreciate that. So let's talk about the rules. The rules are, I'm not going to go you know, read the rule book to folks here. If you've played a war game, the, the basics are pretty, pretty much there from what you'd expect from any game of this time period. It's a D10 system, roll under, so low is good, high bad. If you've played Dark Age, this game's going to be very, very familiar to you in terms of how it works, uh, mixed with a little bit of 40k. Some things that I thought were interesting about the game, you didn't have a action point system. You had a movement point system. So a model might have 12 movement points or 10 movement points. You could spend a movement point to move an inch. So in other words, a model with 10 movement points could run, quote unquote, do nothing else, up to 10 inches. You also bought attacks or other actions using your movement points. So it was functioning like an action point, just called something different. I liked the granularity of that. Unlike a game like Malifaux or Dark Age, we had 1 AP, 2 AP. There's a big jump between 2 and 3 AP, or 3 and 4 AP. Here you got down to a level of granularity that I thought was interesting. Uh, Weapons would have a MP cost associated with them. So rather than just having a heavy weapon that costs the same to attack with as a lighter weapon you could really part that out in an interesting way, particularly since you can customize models, as in a game like 40K, so buy a heavy weapon. It really helps some differentiation there. Um, another small thing that I thought was clever, and I haven't seen people copy it, maybe it's 
more complexity than needed. There was a separation of the brain stat and the gut stat. So a lot of games you just have a some command or psychology stat that's used for anything that might be mental related. And I liked here that you could have you know, a big dumb monster that was very brave, so would ha have a high gut stat, but not too sharp, so really low brain stat. And for a scenario or special ability that was based upon brains, you'd have a differentiation between something that was, you know, really brave and tough versus something that was really smart but cowardly. I thought that was a uh, an interesting approach to the rules. Did anything jump out to you in terms of, of the rules from your, your research, Chris? So the two things that I like um, is I do like that stamina system. Mm -hmm. Essentially, like, using movement points in such, like, a uh, large resource way, like, in getting 10 of a thing instead of, like you said, two or three, it makes it feel a lot more like a stamina bar in a video game than really, like, a major kind of resource thing because it's like, okay... It seems more, like, fluid, and, like, you have more options than in a much more, like, regimented, like, one, two, three kind of thing. So it's it's interesting. That's fun. I do also like the D10 system. If for nothing else, then it is really, really, really easy to figure out probability on a D10. <laughs> like, <laughs> D10 probably, like, you know, that was one of my favorite things about uh, Wrath of Kings. That's definitely... You know, fun. I don't think, I definitely don't think that there's enough systems out there that use D10s because, like, again, probability wise, it's one of the easiest things to figure out as opposed to like a 2D6 or like a bespoke dice situation. Like, it's just, it's a very easy number to work with. You know, you don't, you don't need to be a uh, mathematician here. Like, <laughs> so, I, I, I do, uh, those are two things that I, I definitely like the sound of. Okay, yeah, I, I, I would say it reminds me a bit of Dark Age, which I think you'll appreciate. So mm -hmm. in terms of uh, hit points, and this game is called Life Force, most models have one, a few have two or three, so it, there's that wound quanta that you, if you, you're familiar with Dark Age, you're going to be very familiar with here. I didn't talk about vehicles. In my mind, they were a little clunky. If you go to the FAQ they do mention that that became a, at least for vehicles of a certain size, a opponent permission needed situation. So they could be a bit much for some small forces to face. Listeners might be wondering, how does this work on the tabletop for the MP system? So we talked about that being like a stamina bar. I think it's reasonable to ask, okay, that sounds great for a five or six model system. How does that work when you've got 30 models on the table? Uh, I played with some friends at the 750 level. I never found it became too onerous in terms of bookkeeping. I would say if you're looking to play this game with your kid and they're at the, you know, second to third grade level, this might become more difficult for someone there, but I don't think it's... Uh, too difficult to learn it might even be a good learning experience for your kid mm -hmm. I, and because the mp don't carry over it's not like a model would spend six mp and then hold six you don't need to track that you use all your mp during your activation then you're done even if you want to hold your action for later in the turn that just costs all your mp so from a bookkeeping perspective uh despite sounding like it might become tricky it was actually fairly fairly straightforward sure. so we talked a bit about the art. You know, Matt Wilson from Privateer Press contributed a lot to this game. There were some other, you know, Adrian Smith, Ron Spencer we've talked about. I thought the art was 
for the most part pretty good. There are a few spotty things where I was like, I don't know that that really works for me, but <laughs> I, I was, uh, especially grading on a curve relative to games at its time, I thought the, the art was pretty dang good. Any thoughts there? I agree. You know, anything that I've seen of the art so far, it does look really cool. Like, and especially for the time, like it, it does feel it, it definitely has some dark age feels for it, especially in like the general tone and color palette yeah. that they're using. You know, like they're like I said, there's certain things like especially like Faron where it's like, oh, man, like I could just like port this over and, and people might think it might be the same game, you know. Just uh, splash in some blues for the Pharon and people are like, oh, yeah, 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 like K3, it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, the the art is really solid, um, you know, and like I said, you know, if it was to come out today, it'd be really interesting to see, you know, if the models are matching that kind of cover art, I think it'd be pretty successful. I definitely agree on that. On the note, if you're looking to pick it up today, the one thing I will mention, it's kind of a well-known trope in the Vore community online, at least from what I've read, that if you are going to pick up the game if you're looking to power game and have a good time with your friends, watch out for Faron. They were the last book released. They were released right when Fast was closing. They did not get the full playtest pass they probably needed. So if you're really looking to break the game, it's a little bit easier there. So just a heads up on that. In terms of, you know, why did I, I want to talk about this? Why do I like this game so much? Uh, it was my first dead game. So around 2010, I had some friends say, hey, let's play this old game. Well, it's not supported anymore. Why do you want to play an old game? Well, because it, it's cheap and it's fun. You can still get all the models. What do you mean you can still get all the models? Oh, just go to ironwindmetals.com and oh, wow, yeah, I can. And they're all metal. They're heavy, but they're really, really cheap. This is great. I really enjoy having access to the full line. I think one of the, the more painful parts of a lot of dead games is losing access to models if you want to use the models that originally released, uh, excuse me, originally released for it. So Eden's a classic example there. There's a ton of models I would love to pick up, but you, you just can't find them. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, th this game doesn't have that problem, which is nice. It's also, it, it, to this day, remains quite affordable. I picked up a full... Shard Force, uh, full Shard Force and then some for $125, including shipping from Relpatha, UK. So taking advantage of that uh, dollar to pound exchange rate, um, <laughs> even going through Ironman Metals, it's not too bad in the States, too. So I, this is a game that for you know 100 maybe $150, you can pick up pretty much whatever you'd want from the original line. But it's also a game, I think, culturally that really is open to using proxies. Um, I don't think anyone's going to look at you askance if you wanted to use Imperial Guard for your Union Force. I, I think that's mm -hmm. almost expected at this point. Because it lets you build your own force too, I think most people that are into the game are are going to be down for that sort of thing. I'd also say the, the game culturally is a little bit of an interesting time capsule. So like looking through the FAQ, you had references to with opponent's permission as a rule concept, which was really popular in Warhammer 40k, 3rd and 4th edition. They've moved away from that because people didn't love that, and I think the American scene was much more focused on tournaments and, like, how do you how do you handle that in a tournament? There was a lot of optional rules, too, which is something that FASA was big on. Battletech, to this day, uses a lot of optional rules. I think you're seeing that become more popular in a modern setting, so Kings of War 3.5 just dropped. They have optional rules now, which I, I think is, is a really interesting way to go. I like that from a gaming TO perspective, because it lets game groups decide kind of what they want to do. I know that adds an extra wrinkle if you're you know trying to run a 8,000-person tournament. How do you keep everyone happy? I don't think Kings of War is at the 8,000-person point yet. But I, I also I like the idea that it gives folks some, uh, some freedom. So 
I've kind of said my piece on this game. Chris, what are your what are your thoughts after hearing all this? For me, it sounds fun. Definitely something that I'd give it, I I'd give a go on on the table. I kind of would like to try it before you know investing. I think part of that for me isn't so much as that like I don't I really have a dislike for anything in it, and more of just like gigantic you know again looking primarily at growlers gigantic heavy metal models are <laughs> kind of a turn you know like a turnoff for me uh you know like i i i used to play trollbloods at one point in time and it was before they switched over you know to resins and plastics for lots of like man like i had a bag that you know definitely still feel it in my back today you know <laughs> and uh yeah, I definitely, uh, I, I'd give it a shot, you know, um, and see where it goes. I could definitely see this as something being on my paint table in the future. I think, you know, it might be fun to paint some of that stuff up in the in the future. But um, for now, I don't I don't think it's uh, it's not something like I heard. And I'm like, oh, man, I need this right now. <laughs> I um, well, hopefully at some point I can give you a demo and uh, convince you okay. to, to pick it up. I, I definitely saw you picking up some old used or not used, but like old affordable Trollblood models. The, the War Beast, okay. I think th- there, there's some really good one-to-one conversions for the, the Growlers, and I, I think you, yeah. you'd have a good time it, keeping it all in plastic, keeping the price point low. But I, I think with, with, with your conversion skill, that could be a really interesting uh, interesting way to go. Yeah, it'd be fun to see, uh, you know, put some Trollbloods on some uh, very sci-fi bases and stuff like that uh, and kind of uh, go from there. Definitely, you know, you can do some fun stuff with alien blood effects. You know, now you have this green gook splatter and <laughs> I find, yeah, I mean, like, that's actually, that's that's really not a bad idea. I do think there's definitely some uh, trolls floating around that I might be able to I actually think I might have a box of warders somewhere. Um <laughs> <laughs> It might, I might, I might have some somewhere. I like, who knows what's in the closet at this point? Yeah, I mean, so you know, moving along to like favorite models and stuff. Essentially, you know, like again, going into the Growlers, uh, there's a model called Death Maw, where he's a fire gut alpha chieftain. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty cool model. I think the paint job they have on the standard one is a little goofy. <laughs> like they they kind of tried to sort of do cheetah spots instead of like Rockrits. And they did it on the fins. I, I think there's like a way cooler way to do that. And I definitely think using some less natural neutral tones, this model would be killer. Even doing it up in classic troll blood, you know, that bluish, tealish kind of um, with, you know, either some white or orange uh, kind of rock growths. And this thing would be absolutely baller. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I look at that and I've, I've seen it painted up well. To me, yeah. that looks like a dire pyre troll. Yeah, it looks really cool, and I, I mean, what I think is cool about this, and I, you know, it, it definitely felt the same with some of the uh, the Troll Blood range, especially the older Mark II Troll Blood range before they got into Mark Three, is that it has that very Battletoads physique about it, where the <laughs> fists are gigantic, and it's like, ah, all right, I loved Battletoads, and this, you know, this screams Battletoads street sharks kind of thing to me yeah, for, for that i almost wonder if you couldn't use like a uh carnivian body base and then throw on the troll blood arms it gets something really cool looking there and the face can... yeah the, the, swap the yeah. face swap the arms in throw some crackle paint on it to give it that uh you know molten rock effect i think that could be really cool yeah i mean there's there's definitely a lot of cool stuff out there and um like i think that would be fun to do um what about you well, looking at models what kind of models are you liking so i've always had a soft spot for the shard axiom the crystal alien thing is not something we've seen 
other ranges really pick up. So I thought there was some uniqueness there. And it was interesting to me that they were able to get the tone of the range so well done just from posing of this human but not totally human model. It just reads as very haughty and superior, which is absolutely what the shard feel like mm-hmm. in, the, in the setting. And I, I also think it's a, there's a lot of interesting crystal surfaces on it. I'm really looking forward to, to Peyton Mind. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my vote. I mean, the only thing I'd really like to see on it, because that is that is a super cool model. Yes. I'd like it to be even more hard angles. Like, there's a lot yes. of soft angles on it. I'd really, really like to just almost, like, shave them down. Like, file everything so it's sharp <laughs> and pointy. So, like, it looks like a crystalline being. But, man, also this paint job I'm looking at for it, I think it was by Atropos 907. Oh, yep, yep. I just like man, like and yeah, there's some Photoshop work in here. You know, there's like that bright oh, yeah. like thing in the background, but like you know, just a lot of the transitions and the way like you can see clear areas of light at, all the way out to that cool and dark. It's 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 a very cool model, and it's definitely like a if you have the painting skill, like that's that's got to be something really sweet to work on. Oh, yeah. um, if you don't have the painting skill, it seems like a lot of these would just be like are are dying for color shift, you know. <laughs> Because it just that would be something super sweet, especially some of the I, I you know, Turbo Dark has those Xeno shift paints that yep. have completely different colors on blacks and whites because you can really, really control where your light source is, where your color shifts are occurring. I think that this would be a like a just a really cool model and a really cool faction to work with those on. Chris, you want to tell us about some upcoming events? Upcoming events, yeah, of course. <laughs> Well, I mean, outside of the fact that by the time this drops, but not quite yet, uh, you're going to be married. That, that yeah. is a huge event. <laughs> well, I, unfortunately, most of our listeners are not invited. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, and of course, by the time this drops, it's going to be way too late for them to crash it. So <laughs> this is true. This is true. Because otherwise, you know, this is where I start sending out those messages like, hey, Shay, trip trip to New York, man. Trip to New York. <laughs> Does anyone object? I object. Where the heck is my episode on? I, I don't know. What <laughs> I, you can marry someone who knows so much more about clan war. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I am legitimately, legitimate, like, just looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. Uh, but for things that other people can attend and have fun at, Captain Con is coming. Uh, I'm super psyched for Captain Con. Um, I feel like, you know, over the conventions over the past year, things are really getting back into the swing of things. Things are running a lot more smoothly. People are feeling a lot better. Um, It's just, oh, everything's going well about it. I'll have my vacation time built up again at the new job. So, like, then I I can go. So... Captain Con, I'll be working in the mornings, unfortunately. I mean, fortunately, because I'll be there for a reason, but I'm going to be free at night, so I'll be playing in a lot of night events, which works out really well because there are going to be both a Dark Age After Dark event, which mm-hmm. will be starting after those vendor hours, and that's that has, for me, become like a signature Captain Con event. The Dark Age tournament, there's always been a Dark Age tournament at Captain Con for uh, quite a few years now. And it, whether it has been Dan Start, who is running it this year and uh, the most recent years, or, you know, back in back in the day, Owen used to run that. It's, a, it's always been fun. There's uh, always, uh, they find some cool prize support. 
and there's always a group a good group of people playing um they're very 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 open to new players coming out and just enjoying like even if you don't know how to play the game shoot shoot a message up in the board and we'll bring you an extra army um and you are more than welcome to sit down and play with us uh i remember i did that a couple of years back for my friend amy you know she's like i don't know what i'm doing tonight i was like great i have an extra ice cast army you're playing dark age and she played in the tournament and she actually did fairly well <laughs> you know she uh i think she placed like fifth that year um nice. and i think there was 10 players it was a really solid time so it's gonna be that we really owen hopefully this year if he you know <laughs> makes it We're putting on an eden event uh, last year, uh, Owen didn't make it, uh, so I ended up running the Eden. It was very casual play. I think I brought most of the armies for it. <laughs> Except for Josh. Josh brought some stuff, too. But we had just new people playing, again, who never, ever played the game before, and we were able to kind of walk them through some games. And everybody had a really good time. So, again, if it's something that you're interested in, it's something that you want to, like, give a shot to, like, this isn't something where, like, if you don't know the rules, like, it's going to be like, oh, don't, don't join, you're not going to have a good time. Like, people are willing to really walk you through the steps. You know, nobody's, it's not so much of a tournament as it is a fun get-together, play-slash-learn-the-game and put models on the table kind of thing. And it's uh, it's just a, it's a really good time. I, I I thoroughly enjoy Eden, and really think everybody should give it a shot. That's kind of kind of where I am with that. Yeah, I mean, if if people want to come up with any other dead games, I would say you know just post that post up. We have we have our Discord. Definitely uh, post up in the Discord, and you know it's it's really easy. You know, uh, it worked great for me at Adepticon, just posting up like, hey, what am I bringing to Adepticon? Like, what are we playing? <laughs> and and it, and it worked. It was, you know, like, I found the games. I didn't go, I think, any night without getting in a single game of something. And it was all stuff that I really wanted to play. So, uh, you know, very similar. You know, you, you we've obviously talked about all this stuff, you know, like, you're on here and you're like, hey, you know, like, I, I have some clan war in my basement, you know, like... Who knows? Maybe Owen might be painted by that time. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would say signs unlikely for that. I am. I'm going to be painted for uh, for next year. I'm. I'm. I'm still. I'm. I'm really. And and this is my own hang up. I'm trying to buy the original models, and it's just kind of trying to find what I want. And sometimes it's just not readily available. So it's just uh, going to small stores here or there everywhere looking to see what they have i just i got another box of entry i was looking for the other week which was awesome so i think it's just keeping that up and uh we'll figure it out from there you know it's a bummer we're just at the end of october now um obviously the adepticon event schedule has not been released but i think by the time we record the next one it's uh likely to be up so if we have some dead games in there great I'm looking forward to it if not we will uh you know try to coordinate get some games out there with the folks going i i know i'm committed there's been some informal talk about getting at 43 in there i'd really like to do that i'd love to get some uh eden in with folks like shay and other folks in the midwest and hopefully dark age happens again we'll we'll figure it out yeah and i was gonna say lastly just with captain con uh if all goes well i will actually have judgment eternal champions with me to demo <laughs> nice awesome man uh which i should be able to do at the vending area uh i yeah who knows maybe i'll just paint, post those painted models soon very soon <laughs> by the time you hear this you might already see them <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah as long as i can get some more of the accessories that i need for it i'll you know swing by play play some games uh it's 
it's definitely a fun game. It's definitely, definitely much more modern, though. Uh, you know, when you look at it, it feels a lot more like League of Legends than any than any other tabletop game. And that when you're demoing it, you're just going to call me every slur in the book? I mean, we do that every game on. I, I mean, yeah. But <laughs> we don't tell people about it. <laughs> look, your future wife is from Jersey. You're used to this type of behavior. <laughs> oh, my. On that note been great uh, recording this hopefully you've enjoyed the uh, the discussion here if you like what you heard please check us out in our discord we include a link in the show notes and uh mention we do have a substack newsletter i have totally been slacking and putting stuff up i do try to put up some uh, content there that wouldn't really be fit for uh podcast but probably reads better in text uh, as chris likes to point out it's something great to read when you're on the toilet so uh check that out we also include a link in the show notes for that but uh it's been real talking to y'all i'm owen i'm chris Catch you on the next one. Later. Intro music is Axe to Mouth by Pulp 45, which is Owen's old band. Outro music is Control My Fate by Ataraxia, which is Chris's old band. All songs used with permission. If you like what you hear, please like or subscribe. Thanks. Thanks.